are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, it should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. I invite you now to stand with me as I read uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. Jesus says these words, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, prayer is relevant to most in our society. Even the non-religious people might say something on social media. Hey, I'm sending my thoughts and prayers to the families of those who lost a loved one in the Surfside condo collapse. They might even joke, hey, say a prayer for me. I'm about to get my tail kicked on this test. Even if if the non-religious speak about prayer in this way, think about how much more the religious around us speak about prayer. All world religions have some way of connecting with a higher power. Think about the Muslims. Uh, One of their core tenets of their faith is prayer. They stop five times throughout their day to pray. It's preceded by these purification rituals. They lay out prostrate and they pray facing towards Mecca. They recite these different memorized prayers that they have for each time of the day. This week I was learning about the Hindu and they have these different mantras that they will sing to different deities. They will repeat these mantras over and over using prayer beads and Uh, Praying to shrines. Uh, This week I learned about the Buddhists and their prayer life. Uh, Their prayer centers them uh, to uh, self-awareness and uh, centers them emotionally. They too focus on these different postures that they have while they pray. And they have these different mantras. And I was reading about this Buddhist monk that said even if they don't know what the mantras mean, they believe that the mantras will bring enlightenment to them. In fact, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was walking through Shinley Park thinking through these things, and I saw two people that were standing on a trail 
And they were just standing there like this. I didn't hear any words that they were saying, so I don't know exactly that they were praying, but certainly they were there trying to get in touch with creation in some way. The Jews certainly have their prayer habits. Stop three times throughout the day and pray specific prayers. One of those is the Shema. Here, this passage shows us what prayer was like in Bible times. Many of the Jews that Jesus tells us would time it just right so that they're at this busy corner. Think uh, the intersection of Forbes and Murray Avenue. Just right when it's at the time of prayer. And they go and they, they stand on the busy street corner and they pray their prayers. Hear, O Israel, Adonai is our God. Adonai is one. You shall love Adonai with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And here in this passage, Jesus is calling them out for their prayer habits. For us who are Christians, prayer is also very important to us. You've seen us do it several times today in our service. For followers of Jesus, prayer looks different from prayer of the rest of the world. It's different from those who just give this flippant, sending prayers your way, prayer emoji. But it's also different from those who are very devout in these other faiths, who have rituals surrounding prayer and a lot of mantras and recitation. For Christians, prayer is unique to us. And here in this passage today, Jesus teaches us how to rightly pray. As I go through this passage, I will define prayer as personal communion with the creator of the universe. And as we examine this passage, I'm going to frame prayer in terms of a personal relationship with God. Well, first, as we look at this passage starting in verse 5, we see that Christian prayer is unique because it is an authentic relationship with God. It's an authentic relationship with God. Jesus starts by saying these words. He says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. This word hypocrites means those who are actors playing a role. Think about the one standing on a street corner acting for everyone who sees. They love to be seen by people as they publicly pray. And Jesus tells us in this passage, he says, they will get their reward. The reward they're seeking is the attention from others. And Jesus says they'll certainly get it, but that is all that their prayers are good for. This passage, Jesus isn't forbidding us from praying in public, as if uh, Joshua Powell is just wrong by standing here praying in front of you, or you're sinning by praying in your different small groups as you gather. In fact, the Bible commands us to pray when we gather. Jesus will later say in the book of Matthew, he says, when two or three are gathered to pray in his name, he will be there. Think about the book of 1 Timothy. It gives a lot of instructions about what the services should look like when the church gathers together. We're given a command for us to pray for our rulers and authorities. 
goes on to say that the men should pray lifting up holy hands. In fact, the Gospels record examples of Jesus' public prayers. The book of Acts records prayers of the early church leaders. But just as Pastor Andrew spoke about last week with giving, it, it comes down to what are the motivations of our prayers? Are your prayers an authentic relationship with God? Or is the only time that you pray is when you're in public? Posing for others so that they might hear your prayers and think that you have some super spirituality going on. Now, just this Friday night, I went on a date with my wife. We were blessed to go out on a Gateway Clipper cruise, uh, courtesy of the Baptist Resource Network. And it was a beautiful night out on the river. And let's just say that uh, after that evening, I go home and I post this post on social media. I, I took my wife on a date to Gateway Clipper Dinner Cruise. I planned this one just right. Perfect night out. Hashtag husband of the year. Right? And some of you laugh, but we have friends certainly on social media that do this every time they do anything, right? But as you look at this post, it's clear that I am the object of this post. <laughs> the, the point of this isn't to honor my wife but to puff myself up. Now let me ask you this question. What would show my wife more that I love her? Posting selfies all night about how great of a husband I am? Or keeping my phone put away and spending quality time with her? Listen, relationships only grow with an investment of quality time. And this too should define our relationships with God. As we look at this passage in verse 6, Jesus speaks of this. He gives a, a positive command to the negative that he just said. He says, and when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Our public prayers should just be a small expression of our many private prayers. I love thinking about church history, and uh, many of you may be familiar with John Wesley and Charles Wesley. One was a, a great preacher, founder of the Methodist movement. The other was a writer of over 6,000 hymns, many of which I'm sure that you would know. But you may not be as familiar with Susanna Wesley. Susanna was the mother of John and Charles and eight other children. Uh, she raised her children in a home that was very poor. Husband was a minister. I uh, read that one of their kids had special needs. In those days, she homeschooled all of her children. Right? Certainly, Susanna Wesley was a busy woman with a lot of chaos in her home. As I read about Susanna Wesley, you read these stories about how she would uh, regularly go to a spot in her living room and she would sit there and she would take her apron from cooking and she would flip her apron up over her head and make this tent where she was hidden from all the chaos in her home. And while she was there, she would spend an hour or more daily reading her Bible, 
and praying. And there she's hidden in her tent. Her children knew that you better not mess with mama in her time with God. That was her private time in communion with her heavenly father. And we will never know, but I can't help but think that there was a direct correlation between Susanna Wesley's faithful prayer life and the public ministry of John and Charles. And me as a kid, I have very vivid memories of waking up at 4.30 a.m. to go to the bathroom. And as I do so, I see the light on in the kitchen. And I tiptoe down the hallway and I hear my dad sitting at the kitchen table whispering prayers to God before his day started. I can't tell you how, how moving it is to hear your father in those moments calling me and my sisters out by name. There's no greater example of private prayers than Jesus Christ himself. His days were jam-packed with ministry, healing and preaching, you know, doing the important stuff. But as we look through the Gospels, we see that Jesus always prioritized time getting away with the Father. He would get up early before the ministry started and before the other disciples woke up. He would go out to the mountain. He would commune with his Father. There's no greater private prayer than we see at the climax of Jesus' life. Right? The, the culmination of his whole ministry. And before Jesus went to the cross, he went to the garden. And it blows my mind, this concept, that here Jesus is on the earth. He is God in the flesh. He and the Father are one. Yet he spent hours praying. How much more should you and I be people who carve out time in our days for an authentic relationship with God? Prayer is our source of power as we daily go into battle against the spiritual forces of darkness. Prayer is our source of healing as we cast our cares upon God because he cares for us. Prayer is our source of refreshment to our souls, like a date with our Father. Oh, may we be defined as people with great private prayer lives. Another way that Christian prayer is unique is that it gives us an intimate relationship with God. An intimate relationship with God. As you see there in verse 7, Jesus says, don't pray like the Gentiles. Don't pray like the pagans. Those who do not know God. He says they repeat a bunch of empty phrases. Some of you may have the King James translation. It says a bunch of vain repetition." Others of you may have the Christian Standard Bible. It says a bunch of babble. And you go on with a whole bunch of words thinking that God will hear you 
just because you repeat this magic incantation over and over. Listen, the creator of the whole world is not impressed by your elegant phrases that you've memorized. He's not impressed by your extensive vocabulary. He is impressed by a heart that is devoted to him. And think about the irony of this. Here in verses 7 through 8, Jesus makes these statements about repeating empty phrases. And then in verses 9 through 13, he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And unfortunately, there's Christian traditions that have turned that model into just another mantra. These empty phrases that they repeat over and over mindlessly. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to pray the Lord's Prayer. But God is not interested in us just reciting these words over and over again. Jesus doesn't start the Lord's Prayer by saying, hey, when you pray, say these exact words on repeat. He starts by saying, when you pray, pray like this. This is a pattern. Luke, next week, and Rob in the coming weeks will dive into this passage and and show how we can bring life to these words that Jesus gave us as a pattern. Just think about any significant relationship that you have in your life. Say in the evening after you finish your work day, uh, you come home and you call one of your dear friends. As you're talking to them, you you pull out this list of questions, right? And you're talking to them on the phone. You say, "Uh, hello, good evening. How was your day? The person shares about their day, and then they ask you, how was your day? You say, my day was good. I went to work. It was a productive day. I drove home. I had dinner. Right? No, that's, that's ridiculous. Our close friends desire to have authentic interactions with us. Right? Not just a bunch of prepared statements that we've put together. Any relationship in our life would deteriorate if that's all that it looked like. Listen, your friends are not interested in scripted conversations, and neither is your God. He asks us to love him with all of our heart. It means to love him with all of our affections. And prayer is just one of the many means of us doing this. And listen, it's not that repeating things to God is bad. The scriptures tell us to pray continually, to pray without ceasing. And certainly, if your prayer life looks like this for years, most certainly you will repeat some things. In fact, I think about the story of Jesus that he told about the, this uh, persistent widow who has some injustice in her life, and she regularly comes to this wicked judge. And it says the wicked judge finally gives in to her request so that she will stop pestering him. How much more will our loving Father in heaven give to those who regularly plead with him? As with um, public prayers, my question to you is what is your motivation? 
Where's your heart when you're putting these words up to God? Well, think about these two examples. Uh, the first, uh, think about uh, Ezra, our son. He's five, and every evening we sit around the dinner table, and we all go around and give thanks to God for something. And uh, we had a stretch for uh, maybe two or three months that every single night Ezra would stop and pray. And he says, I thank you, God, for this day and this food and this family. And the next day, Ezra, it's your turn to pray. I thank you, God, for this day and this food and this family. And the next day, I thank you, God, for this day and this food and this family. And we had to stop him before we pray and say, Ezra, hey, bud, why don't you stop and think about what you were going to say. I thank you, God. And he has just to stop and think about it. See, that's a negative example of repeated prayers. But I think about a positive example of repeated prayers. It's nothing that stirs my heart more than my wife every single evening going into our boys' room and putting them to bed and bending over each one of them one by one and praying for them. And she says the exact same words every night to both of our boys, praying that they would grow up to know Jesus and to serve him with all of their lives. And I pray that God would bless these faithful prayers. Look at what Jesus goes on to say in verse 8. He says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Throughout this whole section on piety, we see Jesus use this term over and over, father. Listen, our God is not just this distant deity that we earn his ear through our many words. He is a near father. And there's a, a paradox that we see as we think about this. It says that he knows what we need before we ask him, yet he still calls on us to pray. Right? Certainly God knows that we need daily bread or we will die. Yet in the prayer that will come, he calls on us to ask for our daily bread. Once again, I think about my relationship with my children. Right after dinner, I go to the freezer and I pull out some cookies and cream ice cream. Right? And all of a sudden, they scarf down all their food they've been resisting to eat and they come running into the kitchen. And I know when I pull the ice cream out in front of them that I'm going to give them some of the ice cream. Yet still, I want my children to say, hey, Daddy, can I have some ice cream, please? And after I give them the ice cream, I desire for my children to say, Daddy, thanks for the ice cream. And Jesus often compares the Father to his children with our Father in heaven with us. And by us praying to God, God receives the glory and the praise for the many blessings in our life that he provides. And listen, it is such an honor for us who are Christians to have this intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. 
And the crazy thing is, is that he listens. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. This passage says that he sees what we do in secret and he rewards us. He wants to give his children good gifts. He who seeks will find. He who asks receives, and to him who knocks the door will be open. And we believe it is our theology that God is in control of all things. Yet God has chosen to act through his people praying. And the Bible is filled with stories of God moving in great ways through prayer. I think about the days of Isaiah in the Old Testament. There's this mighty king coming up against Israel. And the king, before he gets there, he's annihilated all kinds of different enemies around them. And he sends this letter to King Hezekiah, letting him know that he's on his way to destroy Israel as well. Hezekiah doesn't draft a surrender letter. He doesn't prepare for war. He gets to his knees and he prays. And that night, this enemy army fights against themselves. And they flee the area. And the next day, they're nowhere to be found. And Israel wins without raising a single sword. Think about a similar great story in the New Testament. The church leader, Peter, is arrested for preaching in the streets. There he's in prison, and and the, the Roman officials know there's been some shady things going on with these Christians, and so he assigns extra guards to surround him. What does the church do? They don't go protest the governor's office. They don't scheme on different ways to have a prison break. They gather for an all-night prayer meeting. And there, in the middle of the night, while the church is praying and the guards are sleeping, an angel breaks into the prison and he breaks Peter free. And there as the church is gathering in this home, Peter shows up at their prayer meeting. Listen, may we be people who are dependent upon prayer. May we expect God to do crazy things in the world around us. May we be begging God regularly for this. Not only should our prayers be authentic, should they be intimate, But another thing that makes Christian prayer unique is that it's an exclusive relationship with God. Our prayers bring us into an exclusive relationship with God. The church that we came from in the Louisville area, there's this elderly woman. Uh, We love this woman dearly. She was in our life for many years. Um, But she had some very strong opinions about everything. And uh, many of her theology she developed from uh, some of these uh, TV preachers. I remember one day we were praying in our small group. And I prayed and she called me out after uh, praying. 
after everyone had left, and she said, hey, Joshua, if you don't end your prayer in Jesus' name, then Muhammad or Buddha might just snatch your prayers up. And obviously, we think that is very silly. In fact, uh, in Jesus' name I pray can just be another one of those empty phrases that we repeat every time we pray without thinking about it. But over time, as I was studying more, I began to consider these words. When we as Christians pray, we pray to the God of Abraham, right? But when Jews pray, they're also praying to the God of Abraham. In fact, when Muslims pray, they also are praying to the God of Abraham. What makes us unique is Jesus. Jesus said that he is the way and the truth and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. As we examine the whole Bible, we see that in the beginning, Adam and Eve were in the garden and they were walking with God. Right? Think about that date. Yet Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They disobeyed his command. As a result, they were kicked out of the garden. And as their descendants, we too have a separation between us and our creator. This relationship is broken. There is a massive divide. But the good news of the Bible is that when Jesus died on the cross, he bridged that gap. He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have been reconciled to God through Christ. And this is an exclusive relationship. There is only one mediator between God and man, and it is the man, Jesus Christ. And the Bible is quite clear that those who do not turn to Jesus will spend all eternity separated from God their Father. Philippians 2 tells us that there will come a day when even the Muslims and even the Buddhist and even the Hindu and even the Jew and even the most hard atheist will bow their knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, in Jesus' name... It's not some, just some magic phrase that we tag on to the end of our prayers. Claiming Jesus is our only hope. And we as Christians, our prayers should be filled with the name of Jesus. Not just the last five words as we're ending our prayer. Oh, and thinking of prayer, the Bible tells us that Jesus was raised from the dead. And that he ascended into heaven. And now he is at the right hand of the Father and he is interceding for us. He is pleading to the Father on our behalf. Jesus is praying for us. What a great promise. 
That because we call on the name of Jesus, he is at the right hand of God the Father calling our name. And listen, while this relationship is exclusive to only those who call on the name of Jesus, the invitation for this relationship is extended to all. And we go to all peoples, calling them to come to Jesus, to confess his name with their mouth, that he is Lord, that he is Yahweh, that he is God. As that becomes, I want to extend this invitation to all who are hearing my voice, whether you're in this room or you're listening at home or you're listening years down the road from now. I want to call on you to turn from your self-seeking ways, to turn from your meaningless religious routines and come into an authentic relationship with the Creator, to come into an intimate relationship with your Heavenly Father, and to come into this exclusive relationship Through Jesus Christ our Lord, the Lamb who was slain.